Hey, you're listening to When Bad Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship and the arts. Today, we're returning to the final chat. Nope, I got to introduce you first. <laughs> My name's Todd Sullivan. As always, with me is Oren Barter. Hello. And today we are looking at the final chapters of the autobiography of Malcolm X. It wouldn't be unprecedented to... uh, to keep a fudged opening, would it? <laughs> I, don't, I think it would have been good. It fits. It fits. So this is an odd recording that we're doing here. Um, we're we're not actually recording an episode right now because we already have an episode that's kind of ready to go up. Because the last time we recorded, we talked way too much. I mean, I still think we could have put up a two and a half hour podcast, but whatever. <laughs> I think your faith in the patience of our listeners is maybe greater than mine. No, no. Um, how, it wasn't two and a half. Like, what was it? An hour and a half? Uh, two hours uh, almost? The the full recording, I think, was one hour and 50 minutes. So yeah. it's just 10 minutes shy of two hours. Yeah, that's um, true. And I think even when I got halfway through editing it, I was pretty sure that at like it wouldn't get less than one hour and 40 minutes. So... I mean, maybe we can put a poll up one day to see, like, what do you guys think is the ideal length of a podcast? And uh, maybe we we could get away with talking for two hours, but I don't think <laughs> we're not I quite we're not quite interesting that. enough to talk for two hours. No, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, here we are. We got to record a new introduction for uh, the last episode that we split in two. Um, what's going on in your life right now, Warren? How are things? Things are pretty good. Um, I have done my best to get rid of beer at home anyway, like just drinking at home by myself. Uh, I've been drinking a lot of different non-alcoholic beers, kind of settled on O'Doul's as being the best, which Mm. is funny because that's the one you always think of, but I guess there's a reason for that. I guess, yeah. Um, And yeah, I just found today some non-alcoholic craft stout which was interesting. I thought I had to give that a try and it was actually pretty good. So yeah. Nice. Do you, um, do you remember the, the, the brand name of that? Uh, I got one right here. Give me a second. Partake brewing. Partake brewing. Interesting. Yeah. They're based out of Toronto. They also had a pale ale, not super uh-huh. crazy on the pale ale. So I didn't grab that, but I might grab it next time and give it a go. Hmm. Yeah, well, while we're speaking of beer, I went out to to try to nab my my lucky podcasting beer, which is the Phillips Blueberry Sour, and my my local Colburn wine store was out of it again. It's obviously very popular because they are frequently sold out of it. Uh, but while I was there, I decided I'd pick up. There's a new sour uh, from Phillips that they had there, which is a it's called Oro Blanco, and it's a grapefruit sour, and it is delicious. If uh, <laughs> If people like um, like grapefruit juice, and I don't mean like, and and maybe maybe this is so old that like y- you would not remember it existed, but like all grapefruit juice now seems to pretty much be like the pink grapefruit juice or the the ruby red grapefruit juice, right? And when I was young, 
grapefruit juice used to be like this this almost yellowy colored very very sour juice and that's what i think of when i think of <laughs> grapefruit juice because i loved it um but you can't really find it anywhere anymore but this tastes exactly like that oh okay um when i first cracked it open and i, I gave it a smell i was like holy crap this is like classic classic grapefruit juice and that's what i would you know, when I was having cocktails in my 20s and I had a, I would have a Greyhound, that's what I would have. That's the kind of grapefruit juice I would have. So, What's in a Greyhound? It's vodka and grapefruit juice. Oh. It's basically, it's a screwdriver, but with grapefruit juice. Screwdriver being vodka and orange juice. Okay. So, there you go. You learned something about cocktails tonight. I mean, why, why would they switch from like a tool to a, to a bus? I mean, wouldn't one be a screwdriver, the other one could be like a ball-peen hammer? <laughs> I, I think the Greyhound is probably a reference to the dog more than the bus, but oh, okay. The bus is named for the dog, right? Not vice versa. I don't know. You said Greyhound, I just automatically thought of the bus. Yeah, although you're right. I mean, even if it's the animal Greyhound, it doesn't have a whole lot in common with a screwdriver. I don't know the basis for the name screwdriver. But you're right, yeah, screwdriver, ball peen hammer. There could have been a whole uh, suite of cocktails <laughs> named after different different tools, right? Yeah, cross tooth saw. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real thing, but it sounds that that sounds like a like when you really want to get drunk, that's what you would drink. Yeah. Like a chisel. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a ball peen hammer would definitely leave you with a nasty hangover the next day. Are those all the, I think those are all the tools that we know of. Yeah, that's that's it. I, <laughs> that's the complete. Those are all secret. the tools I have ever heard of, and I'm not even sure about all of them. Some of them I might have made up. Um. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to transition now into um, the rest of our discussion from our last recording session. And uh, just a reminder that these are the final, final, final uh, pages that came from Malcolm himself, uh, chapter 18 and 19. Um sort of uh, his last words on himself and his legacy, whether he knew that they were going to be his final words or not. Um, hope you enjoy it, and uh, we'll catch you here again in a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, moving on to chapter 18. Um, hopefully not mispronouncing the title. el Haj Malik El-Shabazz. Um, that is the name that I don't know if he if he if he chooses it for himself or if it's the sort of thing that's bestowed on you, but that's um, that is now uh, Malcolm X's name following his shift from the Nation of Islam to the more traditional Islamic religion, uh, which is a fitting title for Chapter 18 because it's sort of about his first weeks and and travels after that shift in his religious perspective. Uh, primarily through Africa, where he is greeted very positively just about everywhere he goes. Yeah, like like the circle of people around him um, while he's traveling is is unreal. Princes, prime ministers, ministers, you know, mm -hmm. people of great importance um, are inviting him to speak, inviting him to parties um you know he really does have this this something about him that makes people of great importance want to either be associated with him or to discuss things with him or mm -hmm. um which is you know 
very great and crazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, it, you know, looking at the the circles he's traveling in at this point in time and the contacts he's making, and, um, you know, I, I, I recall reading when he was in Africa, he was talking about the argument that uh, American black people should consider not just fighting for equality and integration in America, but to actually place a, a human rights complaint mm-hmm. with the United Nations, which I thought was a, a really intriguing and a really bold um, suggestion. Because that's a lot different than a civil rights, right? A civil mm. rights is, you know, in-house, it's dealt with in-house, it's, you know, but yeah, human rights. Well, and because the the, the United Nations has a, um, I can't remember what it's called, but something like a universal declaration of human rights. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what, this is what the minimum of what people should be guaranteed simply by existing. And to argue that, you know, black people were not, were denied that by America. But my point though, I think was, Looking at, like I said, the circles he was in and the contacts he was making, it's almost impossible to imagine the trajectory of his life and the trajectory of American society if he hadn't been killed. Yeah. Because it never was brought up as a human rights um, issue. Well, not even that particularly, but like, that you know this guy is 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 building kind of this this brotherhood country to country to country that he's going to you know bring that back to America with him mm-hmm. while also continuing to work towards you know improving the state of the black race in America while also like I would have to think that the American relationship with Islam might have been traditionally, not traditionally, might have been dramatically different had there been someone of his stature bringing that religion, not the nation of Islam element of it, but like Mm. the, the actual traditional Islam, bringing that and trying to deliver that to, at the very least, black Americans, perhaps, all Americans like be interesting to see if anyone has ever written um, one of those alternate history fiction books about like what, you know, like what would happen if Germany won the war or in this case, what would have happened if Malcolm X hadn't been killed? Like what would the world look like? So I mean, while he, he was definitely, after- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say he was definitely building towards something. He was always moving forward. Right, mm-hmm. like he was just constantly this driving force, um, and yeah, it's it's maybe possibly impossible to imagine what he would have accomplished in his lifetime if he had had more time. And it's also likely that if he hadn't been killed when he was killed, that he would have been killed not long after that. I mean, the 1960s was a volatile place, particularly for you know, people in, in the sort of position that he had. So as he's traveling through Africa, he's getting sort of word of, of 
shit going down in America. There's um, some sort of a rifle club called the Blood Brothers that I think they were they they were they shooting people? Were they killing people? No, I, but um, there so there was a, a rifle club. I'm putting that in quotations, I, I guess, for uh, Black Americans. It's kind of maybe like the NR. Well, the NRA is more like a lobby group, but it that was separate from the Blood Brothers thing. Um, mm. These uh, two black males robbed the store and stabbed the. It was a, a husband and wife stabbed the wife to death. Um, when they were interrogated. They expressed that they were um, mm-hmm. following Malcolm X. They called themselves Blood Brothers. Um, that that was separate from from the Rifle Club. They kind of the press used the Rifle Club as like, oh, the blacks are arming themselves. They're going to attack us. Mm. Um, and then they used the Blood Brothers thing to kind of tie Malcolm into the whole violent thing. So they were separate incidences. But in both cases, it seems like they were they were trying to attach Malcolm X yeah. to these things oh, that were yeah. going on that he really wasn't a part of because he, he was wasn't on the even other... he wasn't even in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on the other side of the world. Um, but they kept trying to sort of attach him to these these negative aspects of you know Black Americans or even these violent aspect of Black Americans. Mm-hmm. And you got to stop to wonder too whether or not you know how much of this might have been the work of the nation of Islam trying to discredit him or, um, you know, make him look bad. That's interesting. I didn't think of that. I feel like when you look at journalism right now, I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that it was just simply journalists grasping. Oh, sure. Yeah, totally could be that. I'm not, I'm not saying it necessarily was. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also think that if an organization is putting out death threats on you, <laughs> they're they're going to try and slander your your yeah. They might they might well. do things that aren't quite that bad too, right? <laughs> it's not like you got to go 100 miles an hour or zero, right? Yeah. It's like well, he's in Africa. We can't shoot him right now. Let's uh, let's just make him look. Let's bad just for a sully while. his image. And he did mm. he did express. I think uh, might not have been in this chapter. Correct me if I'm wrong, but. Um, that his position with the Nation of Islam followed him for a long time. Um, even when he tried to distance himself, mm-hmm. he he seemed to be blocked by this, the positions that he held as a younger man. Yeah, um, yeah. But the other thing I thought was interesting, too, is that even as, you know, he's being asked these questions and as he's distancing himself from the Nation of Islam mm-hmm. and, and even saying, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a member anymore... He is continuing to speak well of the members of Elijah Muhammad. Um, you know, he's he's not speaking ill of them in the press. He's not saying, hey, you guys, they're trying to kill me, you know. Um, I guess he said that to um, Alex Haley. But for the most part, he is, he is speaking very well of the organization, which, again, I thought was really interesting, given the situation with, you know, him, the whole thing of him ending up on the outside of it. I think he cared about the people that were part of those churches. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, as, as hurt, he must've been hurt. I mean, no oh, man can go yeah. through what he went through and, and not 
be emotionally and work as hard for the organization as he oh, did. Oh yeah. Like it must have been absolutely heartbreaking to just be tossed aside like that. Um but I, I think he he loved and appreciated the members of the church, the the black community, the community that was built around um Elijah Muhammad yep. and and he didn't want to why would he want to destroy something that he worked so hard to build? That's a fair point. But you're right. He could have. He could have easily, like you said, just been like, hey, they're trying to kill me. They got people out for me. You know, I know somebody told me. It was, uh, was it one of his sons that told him that there was an actual, because he did get confirmation. It wasn't just a mm, speculation. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, yeah, I don't remember. Somebody, somebody was tasked to kill him. And instead of doing so, he expressed to Malcolm X, look, uh, Elijah has... I forgot about that. Yeah. Elijah has, um, you know, put this out there. He's asked me to do this. I won't do this. I'm warning you. I'm going to leave you alone, kind of a thing. So he did get confirmation that it was coming from from Elijah himself. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I, I just couldn't imagine going through something like that. It's unbelievable. Yeah. What I thought was interesting anecdote from his his travels and his speaking in africa there was a he was he was speaking at one point and uh used the word negro right yeah and 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 someone in the audience corrected him that the the preference was it was afro-american right yes which struck me as entertaining uh and i think you mentioned that it struck you as entertaining for the same reason which is that we spent a good chunk of time early on in this podcast talking about <laughs> the use of the word Negro and how odd it was to see. And uh, whether or not it was, a, was that the appropriate term? Was that yeah. the appropriate term? I feel like and we felt like it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. No, I mean, it might've been at the time and it even might've been at the time, mm-hmm. you know, 1930, 1940, 1950. But at this point it's, it's 1963, 1964. Uh, and maybe it's not appropriate anymore. And and that's, again, it's an interesting look at the passage of time and the passage of history um, that we go through in this book. That we go from a word being acceptable at the beginning and now a word being called out as not being acceptable at the end. It was a different place too, though. It, it, it was it a different might place, not be chalked true. up straight to the time aspect of it, but it, it was a different different country altogether. It was a different country. Um, It's interesting. Like you talk about the passage of time and how things change. It's interesting also to see how much things stay the same. When you compare these last couple of chapters and the, and the the things that that Malcolm is calling for and the things that Malcolm is passionate about at this point in his life and uh, how things haven't really, I mean, maybe this is more of a deposition for the, for the end of this podcast. I might be jumping the gun here, but uh, you know, that old saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. Right. Um, and there was a bit right at the end of this chapter that I wanted to read from the, directly from the book. Because it does, it, it reminds me a little bit about where we're at today with the, the concept of systemic racism and and racism being something that... You know, maybe people don't realize is there, and in not realizing it's there, 
assumes that it's not. Mm. Um, here in America, the seeds of racism are so deeply rooted in the white people collectively, their belief that they are superior in some way is so deeply rooted that these things are in the national white subconsciousness. Many whites are even actually unaware of their own racism until they face some test, and then their racism emerges, emerges in one form or another. I think I highlighted that exact same quote. And I think that's very much the case today, that there are that there are people who are who are racist without knowing they're racist. And I think that was one of the sort of the more challenging things that for myself over the over the years realizing that racism isn't just um intentionally not hiring the black guy or and you know verbal slurs actions yeah. or yeah exactly uh, it can be it can be so many other subtle things like walking a little bit faster as you go past the black neighborhood or even even things that you that aren't aren't conscious and those are the things that that really need to be zeroed in on because the big ones the overt ones those are the ones that are easy to call out and say well that's that's fucked up don't do that it's all the little subtle ones that have a big impact over time i think well and uh malcolm touches on this and i think really eloquently um he discusses uh the northern quote-unquote liberal as he calls them mm -hmm. um and and the southern racist conservative mm -hmm. i mean not all conservatives are racist obviously not all liberals are you know yeah the the wolf versus the fox yeah yeah that was a really really interesting analogy um was was that in the last chapter or was that in this chapter i think it was in the last chapter okay but we're done with this chapter i think unless you had anything else to say on it um yeah for me this was a i didn't have a lot to say on this chapter because it is a lot of just I, he went to this country he talked to these people he went to this country he talked to these people um he did meet Cassius Clay again, or Muhammad Ali. He did, yeah. That's probably worth mentioning quickly because it does sort of connect back to the the earlier meeting where they were. They're very, very brotherly, very friendly. Um, yeah. Nobody, nobody had, uh, and it's interesting that Ma, or that uh, Malcolm X still calls Muhammad Ali Cassius Clay, mm -hmm. um, even after in the chronological order of the of his account of things um he has changed his name to muhammad ali i found that interesting mm -hmm. and i'm not sure if that's uh something of note or if that's just uh because he knew him as cassius clay it was difficult for him to to change the manner in which he uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what i mean right? yeah i noticed that too and i, and I don't know myself it's an interesting thing um, and it's actually worth, before this anecdote, it is worth mentioning, I think, that they almost crossed paths um, in the previous chapter at Mecca. Right. Cassius Clay was coming through Mecca, and um, Malcolm X kind of went out of his way to make sure that they didn't cross paths, because he, he didn't want to create any sort of awkwardness, because he knew that uh, Cassius Clay was still with the Nation of Islam, and Malcolm X had, had now since left. Or been forced out. 
or been forced out. Whatever you know, a little bit of both, maybe. I think at this a little point, bit of both. yeah. Um, um, but yeah, he does. He does run into Muhammad Ali again, and uh, Muhammad Ali hesitates, I guess, and and doesn't know because he he like they were close before mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali became the heavyweight champion of the world when nobody had him pegged to be anything. Everybody thought he was just, you know, one more defeat in or one more win, sorry, in in Sonny Liston's long career. Yeah. Um and now he's this international internationally known figure. Well, I mean, I don't remember really well, but it's a pretty quick exchange and I, I think it amounts to something like, you know, um, Hi, how are you? Kind of a thing. Hi, yeah. how are you? Uh, and I think it was something like, I hope you're well. Yeah. Because I remember after that, you know, Malcolm did go on to say in, in the book that like that was a sincere message, that he really did hope that he was well, that he was happy, that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. It's just interesting to see that 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 stark contrast between how he how how they interacted with each other when they were both members of the nation of islam and how they interacted with each other uh post him being ousted well it's like when you leave scientology and then you run into tom cruise it's <laughs> it's a little i awkward. love katie Holmes. <laughs> sorry um but i mean it must have been it must have been so hard for him so many people that were a part of his life would no longer talk to him anymore. I've heard of similar things uh, within um, what's the one that goes door to door? Oh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes. I've heard similar situations. Um, family members that I have had who have been Jehovah's Witnesses. And if they get divorced or if they do something that is kind of against the the church way, uh, they kind of get ostracized by the very mm-hmm. people that they felt so comfortable, so comforted, so connected with. And that kind of immediate and stark isolation must have been difficult. And to, Oh, yeah, to, I mean... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, in some religions, um, like, your family is never going to talk to you again if you leave. Well, it's and it's like with the Nation of Islam, he hadn't spoken with his brother for... For years, because he was ostracized, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So his, him, and his brother, because of his his faith, hadn't had any interaction with each other. Um, but I think his his pilgrimage to Mecca and having that connectiveness with uh, other Muslims probably really was probably at the perfect time for him. Mm-hmm. I can't remember why I brought that up, but. Oh, we were talking about the end of chapter. We we're talking about his interaction with Muhammad Ali. Yeah, with Cassius Clay. Right. So now we're at chapter nineteen, called nineteen sixty-five. This, of course, is the last chapter um, of the book. There is still an epilogue after this, but these were the last words to come from Malcolm X in the autobiography. And the title nineteen sixty-five, I think, is interesting because. I imagine that this would have been dictated sometime in 1964 because Malcolm died on February 21st, 1965. So I'm guessing that the idea of this chapter was that it was a look ahead um, 
at least to the next year and then maybe into the future beyond. Although even in this chapter, um, he goes as far as to say that he does not expect to live long enough to see the publication of the book. Yeah, which was n- oh, chills. And I think w- it was true. I-, I don't think he saw the publication of the book. How could he be so sure? Sh- like something must have been going on. Like he must have... Oh, yeah, no, that gave me chills. But there's a lot... There's a lot of, in this chapter, I think, that's interesting from the prospect of where the world is right now, too. Um, one quote I wanted to read right from the start here. Um, it's really short, but I think it's really relevant. And this is sort of, I think, maybe his his final words on racism from the white man in American society. The white man is not inherently evil, but America's racist society influences him to act evilly. The society has produced and nourishes a a psychology which brings out the lowest, most base part of human beings. And I do think that's true of American society. It's probably true of Canadian society. And I think it's true to this day. Yeah. That that our society has a way of bringing out the lowest, most base part of human beings. And it's unfortunate. One of the things I thought was really interesting early on in this chapter is now that, you know, Malcolm is, is embracing the idea that there are some white people who want to help sincerely he sort of asked the question, so, you know, what can you do if you are a, a, a good-hearted or, um, you know, a white ally, what can you do? And I think his answer is relevant as much today as it was in 1964-1965. First thing he said is to not run out and join Black organizations that, you know, the black organizations are for the black people. And I mean, you can argue about whether or not that's valid, but... Well, he had a couple of reasons for that. Um, yeah, I mean, the one I, I wanted to mention, because I remember, I guess, last year, probably, or earlier this year, here in Kamloops, there was a group trying to put together a Black Lives Matter protest. right. And the the group putting it together ended up being criticized because they didn't have any people of color. They did not have any people of color involved in the setup of it. And so following the criticism, they they they, they canceled the official protest. Um, people still went to where it was supposed to be with their signs and everything else, but it wasn't, you know, an, an official thing anymore. Mm-hmm. But I think that's an important point that it's such a funny line because on the one hand, I can I can kind of understand the people who say like, well, when you tell me that as a white person, I shouldn't go out and, and do these things, isn't that being racist? But it's also, it's not... It's the it's 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 you don't want to be that white savior either, mm-hmm. right? That's a whole other problematic issue. Is is needing to have, you know, the white guy come in 
and save the day. This isn't, this isn't what that fight is. I don't think, but then I'm just a white guy. It's uh, no, it's, it's not, but as, as I think you're going to get to, because he does explain what we could do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I absolutely agreed with, with everything that he said. Well, basically what he said was to, um, start in your own community, start because it's it's coming from the the white community that you're a part of. Mm-hmm. So there is going to be racism coming from somewhere in your proximity. And it's never as far away as you want it to be. No. Um if I can bring up a story, not a not a Please not do. a very good story. Um mm. I was uh I was working we weren't sure where to go. It was our first day. I was with my uncle and we were, we knew kind of the general area where we needed to be, but we weren't really sure the exact road we needed to take. And we also didn't know uh, the vehicle of the person we were trying to get in contact with out, out there. There was no cell service or anything like that. They had recently bought a new vehicle, so we weren't really sure, you know, what to look for. And I saw, you know, a, a pretty nice looking truck. I thought maybe that was something, you know, the the boss would buy. And we, I said, like, hey, let's go drive up to it and uh, see if that's him. We drive up and and uh, there's these two guys in the truck and they rolled down their window. We were down our window and we're like, oh, you know, sorry, we were looking for for our boss and we weren't sure what truck he was in. We thought maybe you were him. And they're like, Oh, no problem. No problem. And we're like, you have a good day. And they're like, you have a good day too. And they drove, like we drove off to try and find where we were going. And, uh, they happened to be, uh, East Indian, darker skinned. Mm -hmm. And my uncle said, um, and I'll never forget this to this fucking day. Uh, he said, uh, fucking blacks. Yeah, I couldn't, I looked at him and I got so mad. I said, what the fuck? Like, what did you just fucking say? And he said, oh, well, they're just out here. And he kind of trailed off. I was like, out here like what? Like, they're just, they're we're out here. They're out here. They're just people. I was so fucking mad. Um, yeah. And like that, that's somebody in your immediate family. Yeah. And it's just... Where did that come from? I don't understand. I don't I don't get it. You know what I mean? It's I mean, I'm I'm no expert. Um I, I feel like it's it's usually taught. It's not something that you learn on your own. Yeah. Not necessarily from, you know, parents. It can come from parents. It can also probably come from peers. Um but it's not I don't think it's something you just pick up naturally. So I mean I, I hope my anger made a difference. I don't believe it did. I think that he's still a racist piece of shit. Um, well, I was thinking about that too. Um, and I wonder whether or not like, yeah, your response probably isn't going to change his mind about anything, but if it made him feel uncomfortable about saying it, 
And if it made him potentially less likely to say something similar again, then I feel like that is a net good. Hopefully. Right? That that maybe there's one, even one less instance of him saying that's going to make somebody else uncomfortable. It's extra frustrating because we have people of color in our family. Mm-hmm. It's It makes me wonder, like, does he just put on a face around them? It's frustrating. Oh, I bet. And is he the only one? Yeah. Is he the only one in my family? I mean, he's the mm-hmm. only one who's outright said something that ridiculous to me. But maybe there's other people in my family who have the same feelings who aren't as outright or haven't yeah. been around me, at least. Or maybe it's been like, oh, hey, don't make those jokes around or and he's kind of a kind of a wuss. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like I don't fucking know. Right. Yeah, it is, unfortunately, out there and probably more um, more prolific than we'd like. Um, 2020, in a lot of ways, isn't all that different from 1965, especially looking at, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter protests compared to the the civil rights marches, the March on Washington, Mm -hmm. things like that. I got to say, after reading this book, the protests, the quote-unquote riots, I guess uh, some people call them, makes a lot more sense to me. You know, this isn't, it's not like, this has been so long, too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like he said, even even back then, you know, how long are we going to sit here and take this? How long are we going to, you know, it's, he doesn't, he didn't condemn anybody that, that went overboard. He's like, they went overboard because the situation is overboard. Yeah. And there is, now that you mention that, there is some call for potential violence in this chapter. And I think this is the most um, overt example of that in the whole book. Um, That if, seeing if I can find the actual references, but it basically comes down to like, if if the, the, the white man is going to continue to abuse the black man and, and no one is going to do anything, then they're going to fight back and they should. I don't find that unreasonable. I don't think that's a call to violence. I think that's just a call to action. Yeah, it's... I don't know what the answer is. I mean... Yeah, me neither. It's like the whole... an eye for an eye and eventually the whole world's blind. Yeah, but... protests and breaking a few windows and tipping cars, lighting stuff on fire. Is that really on par with hundreds of years of what's been going on? No, 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 no. I wasn't. Yeah. Oh, I, okay, I wasn't yeah. criticizing uh, the, the, the riots or the, the protests. It was more violence begets violence. Basically what you're saying. Yeah. Right. We're at a point where there are, there are, there are vigilantes now firing guns at protesters it's, and and they're and they're not It's one step away yeah. from other vigilantes firing back and then other vigilantes firing back and then what the hell is that? It's fucked up, man. 
Yeah. And uh, this is second-hand information, but uh, I, this is what I was told. I, I haven't really been watching the news. It's been pretty fucking depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it might pertain to the same person you were talking about vigilante shooting at the protesters and uh somebody told me that the president kind of commended the action mm, he didn't speak negatively of it unless there's something that i haven't seen i, I haven't seen anything that i would say was like him commending it okay. but he didn't exactly condemn it either was he right was he arrested? Um, yeah, he was arrested. And a Christian organization has now helped fund him $350,000 for his defense. For real? Yep, because there's nothing more Christian than shooting people. Shooting protesters, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, is there anything else to talk about in this chapter before I decide I just want to go into the next room and sleep for a thousand years? <laughs> yeah, there is something I want to talk about in this chapter, which which was very interesting to me. So he he's he's discussing um, how he's now including um, not just whites but all other ethnicities um, and religions into his kind of group of friends. How he's he's more open minded. Um, he says, "My dearest friends have come to include all kinds: some Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, agnostics." And here's the best part. He saves us. Right. He saves us for the end. And even atheists. I mean, my God, those <laughs> atheists. I was like, wow, he saved us for the end. <laughs> and then if you keep reading, he's like, uh, I have friends who are capitalists, socialists, and communists. I was like, oh, okay, so atheists and communists on par, perfect. So some of my friends are yeah. moderates, conservatives, extremists, and some are even Uncle Tom's. I don't know what Uncle Tom is. Is that the we want you guy? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's like Uncle, Uncle Sam. Sam. <laughs> Uncle, who's Uncle Tom? I don't understand. Uncle Tom is like a a, a name for like a um a, a black character who's like kind of a pro slavery guy. Oh, okay, okay. It's like the yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then my friends today are black, brown, red, yellow, and white. I see Uncle Tom on the I Want You poster now. <laughs> Wait, never mind. Oh, yeah, I thought that was good. I was like, oh, shit, there I am. I'm an atheist. Right at the bottom of the list. Where you belong. <laughs> and there, was another, there was another thing. I, I just wanted, I, I had a couple of quotes here. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't get around to swinging in. Uh, he just says, anyway, now each day I live as if I am already dead. And I tell you what I would like for you to do when I am dead. I say it, I say it that way because from the things that I know, I do not expect to live long enough. And you, you did this quote here. Do not expect to live long enough to read this book in its finished form. It just, that sense chills up my spine. Mm-hmm. I want you to just watch and see if I'm not right in what I say that the white man in his press is going to identify me with hate and I do not know I have not seen any press releases from after his death but uh, when we do the epilogue I would like to 
maybe yeah I, when i i had that same thought when i read that passage i was like i should see if i can track down um any of the headlines from the day after he was killed to see what and see how he was painted how, yeah see how he was painted yeah there was one i went i went and looked up uh looked him up on wikipedia to get the date of his death and while i was there in the section on his death they had um a link to an external page or an external image uh, and it was a newspaper page of of the news of his being shot. And I'd like to go back to that again, because it was on my phone. I couldn't see it very well, but it was something like, you know, an untimely end for the man called Malcolm or something like that. And they actually had a sh- photo of him like lying on the ground dead. Holy shit. Which, yeah, you don't see in a lot of newspapers. But... No shit. That's fucking, that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. When we do the epilogue, it would be, um, might be worth having that in our pocket to talk about. Okay. Um, yeah, other than the fact that everything's depressing and, uh, yeah, I I feel like he was almost prophetic in his, in his, in his death, um, which just, and he was through the whole book. Like he, I mean, well, I mean, he literally was, he was like, I'm going to die before this book is published. And, and he did. And, uh, from the little bit of reading, I, I mean, there were three members of the Nation of Islam who were um, prosecuted for it. So, well, this, one of them con- one of them confessed, and two of them um, maintained their innocence through the entire thing. Uh, and the one guy that confessed said that the other two weren't involved, and that two other people were involved, but I don't think he ever named them. Well, um, yeah, I guess. Uh... We'll touch on that next time. Yeah, I, I feel like there was a lot more in that 1965 chapter, but really beyond the the comment about like what can people do to help, it just seems like I don't know. It's a lot of looking ahead to what the future might bring in 1965, and it's a 1965 that is long past, and it's a 1965 that he never got a chance to see. So, yeah, I don't know. And the future that he envisioned never came about. Nope. And maybe he could have, like you said, would he have brought it? Would he have brought it, you know, would he he have made it happen? Who knows? Yeah. It's nice to think and it's nice to imagine and hope, but odds are 2020 would just be a shit show in a different way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyhow um that brings us to the end of chapter 19 uh and to the end of um the end of the chapters from malcolm x in this book we have one uh big chunk of book left it's 100 pages it's the epilogue written by alex haley uh and we will be discussing that on the next episode of the podcast uh along with hopefully um i uh, it's going to be hard to track down because I don't think it's on any streaming services. Um, but I am hoping that we can get a chance to watch Spike Lee's mm. film, Malcolm X, and maybe talk a little bit about that in the next episode alongside the epilogue as well. I can I can get that probably on Google Play for us. Oh, Groovy. Yeah. Cool. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they've got rentals there, right? Uh, yeah, or just buy it. Or just buy it, yeah. yeah. 
the the plan schedule for the next few weeks or the next few episodes. Um, the next episode after this one will be a discussion of the epilogue and uh, hopefully the Malcolm X film. The episode after that will be the final wrap-up of the discussion of the autobiography of Malcolm X talking about our feeling about the book as a whole um, and and really hopefully digging down onto our thoughts about um, the whether it was valid for this book to be challenged, whether it was valid for this book to be banned, talking again about why the book was banned or challenged and, and that sort of thing and, and just sort of discuss it as a whole. That is an episode that I'm hoping to be able to do live on Podbean. We would probably do it on a, on a Sunday afternoon, probably one or two o'clock, Sunday being the date that the, the podcasts usually go up. So we would maintain that same Sunday schedule. It's just that would be a live episode where um, people could hopefully engage with us either in a chat room or maybe even with people calling in. I have yet to test Podbean's a live podcast functionality, which I hope to do, obviously, before we get to the live episode uh, and and just get a feel for what sort of options are possible. Uh, it might end up just being me and Oren um, <laughs> talking to each other like normal, in which case, you know, what we've gotten used to doing that. That's OK. Um, but I think ideally we would have a couple of people who've been listening to the podcast and uh uh, who want to come and engage. Speaking of which, uh, if you are listening to the podcast and you are enjoying what we're doing, uh, please think about um, liking uh, the podcast or leaving reviews or comments on the podcast on the platforms that you listen on. I think the more uh, engagement we get with people, so the more likes, the more comments, the more reviews, the more that improves you know, the algorithm's willingness to show us to other people. So, yeah, if you like what we're doing, um, please leave comments, please leave likes. Um, and if you want to if you want to converse with us, do that through comments or um, we do have a Facebook page uh, if you want to drop by and chat with us there. And of course, like I said, hopefully we'll have a, a live podcast. Can I make a counterpoint? Please. Yeah, do. If you don't like us, talk to us, too. Yeah, absolutely. If you if there's something you don't like about what we're doing, let us know. Let us know. Yeah. We can't improve it if we don't know what we're screwing up. Um, if you have suggestions, if you have a favorite band book, or you have a band book that you've heard of that you've never read but you're super curious about, um, we are coming to the end of our first book, and of course, need to be looking for what we're going to do next. So, yeah, please. Um, if you don't start engaging with us, we're just two guys talking to each other in a, in a hey, internet void here. You know what? Here, that's so. okay. If that's all, if that's, that's okay all too. Is, I don't mind. We're, we're we're okay with that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, as always, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, my name is Todd Sullivan, and I'm Warren Barter. This has been when bad things happen to good people. Go read a fucking book. Do it. <laughs> <laughs>